0: These long arms come in handy for something. What a great anthem, great day, the righteous marching. Our text of scripture today comes from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, not a text you probably are as familiar with as other texts of the scripture, but a significant text. I'm going to be reading from the first four verses of the first chapter and the first four verses of the second chapter. I invite you to listen for God's word. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. And therefore judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watchpost and I will station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what He will say to me and what He will answer concerning my complaint. And then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit's not right in them. But the righteous live by their faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? And so, gracious God, like those who have gone before us, For almost 500 years in the Reformation, and for 1,500 years before that, we come. We gather here together as your people, and we have come to hear your voice. So quiet in us any voice but your own, and speak to us now as only a living God can. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I think people have one thing in common with light bulbs. We shine with varying degrees of brightness and illumination. Some shine dimly so they can hardly be seen, like a 15 watt bulb, others a little more brightly like a 75 watt bulb, and then some just blaze with light so you can see it for miles around like a 300 watt bulb the intensity with which people live their lives varies. Some people's presence is hardly felt. They come and they go and they drag through life and you wonder if anyone's aware of the fact that they've ever been. But then once in a while you meet somebody whose presence is felt wherever they go. The moment she comes into a room, you know it. Not because she says anything or does anything or tries in any way to attract attention to herself. The very fact of her being there is enough to make her presence felt. And throughout history, people have burned brightly at certain moments when the darkness threatened. The Reformation that we celebrate today began to pick up real momentum in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. This is the 499th anniversary of that Reformation, which began then. Next year is the 500th. And I'm pleased to say that the Huntington Library has agreed to hold an exhibit and a symposium on the Reformation next year. So more about that later, but you can look forward to it on the 500th 500th anniversary. But Martin Luther, this monk who had turned reformer, became a light that burned brightly in a period of darkness. Luther had Calvin and Erasmus and a variety of other reformers who sought out to make the world a better place by simply making God's Word better known. And how could they do that? By making God's Word available to people in their own language. These reformers' lives had been transformed by their reading of Scripture. And they believed that the abuses and the misuses of authority in their time and the way that Christian people were living out their faith would be challenged and corrected by simply making people aware of the beauty and the power of God's Word. Luther translated the Bible into German so that it would be commonplace for people to have a Bible and the new technology of the time of the printing press made it available for mass distribution and the world was changed now martin luther stumbled upon this verse from habakkuk when reading his new testament in romans chapter 1 verse 17 Paul, the apostle, in writing to the Roman church, writes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the one who is righteous will live by faith. At a critical time in his own life, when he read Paul's quotation of that text, Luther reported to have written in Latin the word sola, or only in the margin of his bible beside romans 117 and that became a significant early indication and expression of what became for luther the important reformation doctrine of justification by faith sola alone Habakkuk was a reformer from a much earlier period in history, in the sixth century BCE. He too was a light that burned brightly in a dark period, in a period in need of reform. He wrote at about the same time as the prophet Jeremiah during the Babylonian exile. Nebuchadnezzar was at the head of an army, the Syrian army. And he had marched around the Fertile Crescent and destroyed the Israelis in their capital city of Jerusalem. And when that city fell, the whole social order lay in rubble. Their dreams and ambitions were gone. Parents no longer dreamed of educating their children. Business people no longer planned for the next day's activities. No one planned the next social event. People no longer planned for old age or retirement. Everything stopped. Everything ended. And they could no longer see their way forward. The nation was hopeless. But not the prophets. Because the prophets knew where there's hope, there's life. And God was not yet finished. As we just heard sung in that great anthem, the righteous will be marching. They took their position, these prophets, in the watchtower, and they waited to see what the Lord was yet going to do. Now throughout history, people have been called to service by this same God to be witnesses of the salvation that the Lord our God is bringing about the reformation of all things, the reforming of our lives and our society. And when called, Jeremiah said, I'm not old enough. (coughs) Excuse me. And Moses said, I'm not smart enough. And Jonah said, God's not smart enough. God shouldn't forgive the Ninevites. They'll turn from him. God doesn't know what he's doing, letting the Ninevites off the hook. Isaiah said, I'm not holy enough. People protested before they even knew what God was asking them to do. And most of them reluctantly went along with the program and it became the ride of a lifetime. They became light bulbs that still burn brightly for any who are seeking truth and justice and a way to live righteously in the world. So 20 years ago, a filmmaker named Pierre Savage made a documentary film entitled Weapons of the Spirit. The film told the story of a little village in south-central France, named Le Chambon. The villagers there were overwhelmingly Protestant, from the Protestant Reformation, descendants of the often-persecuted sect of the Huguenots. The region's a bit mountainous, a bit isolated. It's not a particularly prosperous area. And the village church is simple, but over the door is carved the inscription, Love one another. Except for being Protestant in largely Roman Catholic France, there's nothing really very special about Le Chambon. Nothing special now, but during the four years of World War II, from 1941 to 1945, the 5,000 people of Le Chambon sheltered and saved the lives of 5,000 Jews. And the documentary filmmaker, Pierre Savage, was one of them. He was a little boy when the people of that town took him in, one of the few members of his family to survive the Holocaust. And in the end, France would send 75,000 Jews, 10,000 of them children, to the death camps in Germany and Poland. Yet in this little corner of France, most every farmhouse had an extra child or two, Jewish children from Paris or Strasbourg. Families took in whole families who had managed to get out of Germany and Austria. Some were eventually smuggled over the mountains to the east to Switzerland, but most simply sat out the war in La Chambon. Several villagers ran a burgeoning business in false identity papers. But the operation was, it seems, never really very well organized. The widow of the village pastor laughingly said, if we had an organization, we would have failed. But the pastor was an urbane, scholarly Parisian who had been banished to this backwater because of his pacifism. One villager remembers announcements being made in church on Sunday morning like this. The pastor would say cryptically, three Old Testaments arrived last night, meaning there were three Austrian Jews who had made their way to the church, and they were on the run. And then some old Huguenot farmer would raise his hand in the pew, and he'd say, I can take them. It was dangerous from the very beginning. The Vichy authorities soon got wind that La Chambon was hiding Jews, Jews that Marshal Pétain and his regime had promised Hitler. So they sent authorities to check things out. Once when a Vichy youth official was in town, representatives of the church's senior high youth group program, the senior high youth group, hand-delivered him a letter in which they refused to distinguish between Jews and non-Jews. When the Nazis occupied the south of France later in the war, the oppression got riskier. Finally, an SS unit moved into town, a town full of Jews, many of whom spoke no French or Spoke it with such a hopeless German accent they could easily be identified, but inexplicably, the SS commandant never seemed to find a single Jew. And the producer of the film suggests that even he somehow must have found himself caught up in this conspiracy of goodness. Now the people of La Chambon did what they did in some measure because of who they were. They identified as Huguenot Christians, joyful inheritors of the Protestant Reformation, and their habitual church-going and their regular Bible reading shaped their lives. Who they were mattered, and it affected the way they lived their lives. The people of La Chambon did what they did in great measure because of what they believed to be true. Faith had shaped their lives. And their lives burned brightly in a dark time. You see, the Bible tells us over and over again, God continues to believe in you and me. The Bible tells of the incredible optimism that God has with respect to people like you and me. God continues to work in the world, either with our participation or without it. But God continues to believe that you and I can and will respond to his grace, that we can experience through faith. That our lives can become more beautiful than they are today. That our lives can become more beautiful than we even imagine. A few weeks ago, we were at a seminar for the presbytery, and the presenter of that day asked us all a question. Who does Jesus Christ rescue? And in my own mind, I thought what... Other people probably in the room were thinking, well, I hope all of us. (laughs) But the speaker went on to make her point. She said, you know, in the New Testament, there's only two occurrences where Jesus rescues someone. The first is the woman who is caught in adultery and was about to be stoned. And Jesus steps in and you remember the story, kneels down and starts writing something in the dirt and then stands up and says, whoever among you is the f- who has never sinned, cast the first stone. That's the first rescue. The second is Peter, when he stepped out of the boat and onto the water of the Jordan or uh, the water of the Sea of Galilee and looked at the storm around him and he began to sink. And Jesus saved him and said, you have little faith. Those are the only two examples. So I was thinking, like you might be thinking now, well, what about all the healing stories? And she said, at the end of those other stories in the New Testament, Jesus always says something like, your faith has made you well. He doesn't rescue people, but he invites them to believe in him. And they become whole and complete through their faith. We get to choose. We get to choose whether or how we're going to participate in what God is doing in the world. Because God optimistically believes in us and that our lives can become more beautiful and more vibrant and more light for the world around us. So I'm coming to believe that this faith that Habakkuk talks about, this faith that Paul writes about, this faith that Luther believed in, doesn't so much answer the questions I ask as it is giving me the strength to live with unanswered questions. It's not so much the key that will bring order out of the chaos as it is the courage to live with chaos but not be overwhelmed by it. Faith is not so much a way out of our human condition, but it's a way of understanding that God shares our humanity And has begun to make it whole. So there is a reformation still underway, my friends. A reformation of your life and mine. Of our society and of our world. And we can learn to live by faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we can learn not to be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation... For everyone who believes. Thanks be to God. Amen.